Thank you, Jesus. God, you are so great. God, you are so mighty. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord, I magnify that holy name. God, I worship you. Oh, Lord, be exalted. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Amen. We serve an awesome God. Amen. He's been so good to me. He's been so, so good. Amen. God, you can be seated tonight. We're going to continue um, and finish up 1 Corinthians chapter 15, kind of picking up where we left off last week. This is a a pretty long chapter. Um, Paul is uh, teaching the Corinthian church about the resurrection, and uh, he's defending the resurrection. So we're going to get started in verse 20 and try to get through this tonight. Uh, Verse 20 says, But now is Christ risen from the dead and became the firstfruits of them that slept. And we talked last week about uh, Christ being the representation of the firstfruits. I'm going back to the harvest that Israel would celebrate. We go to verse 21. For since by, by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, and even so in Christ shall all be made alive. We under, so we understand that death and sin uh, came through Adam. It came through uh, one man. Um, he's the one that they sinned for the very first time, and, and it brought sin and death into the world. And the Bible refers to Christ as the second Adam. And the second Adam came to bring redemption and resurrection. Okay, so Paul is explaining this to the Corinthian church, just to give you context, the, the, the whole book of 1 Corinthians, Paul is just correcting some things um, that the Corinthians sort of uh, um, had backwards, had wrong, and there was uh, some false doctrine Um, that was believed in this church where they didn't believe in the resurrection of uh, uh, the the second resurrection, uh, the resurrection of our our bodies to heaven. Um, So there was this thought process going on among some of the people there, and uh, the Apostle Paul um, was defending and making a case for resurrection. Uh, Verse 23 says, But every man in his own order... Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. So Jesus was the first one resurrected out of the grave and into heaven. Okay, again, representation of the firstfruits. And there was other resurrections in the Bible of the dead. There was uh, the widow's son in, in Elijah's day. There was Lazarus. But these were resurrected from the dead Back into a human, back into an earthly body. Okay? So Christ's resurrection from the dead was different. It was the first of its kind. Okay? Because it was a resurrection out of the grave into heaven. So that's what, what Paul is saying here. It was Christ the first fruits, and then afterward, they that are Christ at his coming. So he's talking 
about the second coming of Christ. He's talking about the rapture of the church. Amen? I look forward to Christ coming. That's really what we're living for. So we will receive a resurrected body when Christ comes. And that's what Paul is defending here. In verse 24 it says, Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. So we get into um, what many would refer to as the end times. Is anybody just super interested in the end times? There's just certain people that just love reading and studying about the end times. Um, I, one of my friends texted me today that he's starting a book studying uh, the end times, studying revelations. And uh, I said, brother, I'll pray for you. Um, it's an interesting study, a yeah, very interesting study. And I, I was thinking today, like, why do they call it the end times? Like, for the church, it's the beginning. You know, I, like, it, it's, it may be the end of this earth, but I, it's, it's actually going to be the beginning of eternity. So really, we should call it the beginning times. Amen? Um, and we get into the, the rapture of the church, and that's the second coming. That's what Paul is referring to in verse 23 when he says his coming. That's the, the rapture of his church. We get into the seven years of tribulation. We get into the, the thousand-year millennial reign and the final judgment and, and uh, how all that happens and in order. I am not the expert, but I do know that God is. And how it happens will be perfect. Amen. So this is what Paul is talking about. And, and, uh, and Ephesians 1 and 10 sort of refers to this. He says that in the dispensation of the fullness of times that he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. So he's talking about the end times. He's talking about his second coming. And God, on earth here, God has granted a measure of rule and authority and power to men. Okay, he's granted us authority, rule, and power. He's granted that to Satan. And he's even granted that to death. Death does have power on this earth. It does happen. So God has granted a measure of that here on earth. But that is temporary. Okay, um, that, the, the measure that he's granted to us and to Satan, to death here, here on earth is temporary because Jesus will take his rightful place, amen, as the, the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he will have all rule and all authority and power, okay, when he brings everything together. We read on in verse 25, it says, For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is expected which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all 
in all. And I want to just say this, that God wins, okay? He will put all things under his feet. And really, that's just a, a, a fancier way of saying that he will have complete victory. Okay, that is, it is factual that God will win. Okay, that God will be victorious. And I know that I want to be a part of that. That's the team that I want to be on. The, the team that wins. And, and that's the church of the living God. Okay, the church wins. Amen, because we're going to reign with Christ. Amen, and we're going to spend eternity with him. So I'm going to go on. I'm going to read some scriptures just talking a little bit about um, this uh, um, millennial reign of Christ and, and us, uh, you know, God, uh, you know the com- uh, Christ coming for the rapture of his church. In Revelation 20 and 1, it says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, the old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his, his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished, This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So Paul Paul in, in Corinthians is referring to this right here, the second coming of Christ, when Christ comes and raptures his church out, and whether that happens before the seven-year tribulation, whether it happens in the middle, regardless, I plan on being raptured, okay? The church is going to be raptured. And then he talks about this thousand-year reign that we're going to reign with Christ. I plan on reigning with Christ, Amen. And, and, uh, and I look forward to that. This is what we get to look forward to, to be with Christ. So when, when, this, uh, when the rapture happens, I don't exactly know. I believe it's going to happen before the seven years of tribulation, and then we have the millennial reign of Christ. And I am not a beginning times expert, okay? I'm not. Um, when I read Revelation, it, it, it takes the Holy Ghost to help me understand it because it's just extremely obscure to me. I'll be honest with you. It just takes, it takes the Holy Ghost to explain it to me. So we read on in Revelation 7. It says, And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, a number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp 
of the saints about and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Amen? God has the final say. Okay, he has the final say over the devil, over sin, and over death. Okay, God wins. Amen. And I want to be a part of that winning team, and that's the church. Okay, I want to be included in that number. Amen. So we have sin, we have the devil, and we have death. These are the enemies of God, okay? And at the end of this whole deal, God will take complete reign of them. And there will, they, they will be completely gone. There will be complete victory. Um, t- talking about death here a little bit, you know, death is an enemy of God. Um, it's something that wasn't meant to be in the beginning. And if you think about this, um, death is something that we just sort of never get used to. Like we understand it happens. Um, we will all experience uh, death in the family. We will all experience personal loss. We will all, if Christ doesn't come first, we will all die in earthly death. And it's, it's hard to grasp. It's hard to, you just never really get used to it. Because it wasn't meant to be. It came through sin. Okay? It came through the sin of, of Adam and Eve. And some people will say, and I maybe even have said this, that you just got to get used to it. It's part of life. Has anybody ever said that? You ever heard that say? It's just part death. It's part of life. Just got to embrace it. Well, it's, it may be part of this earthly body's life but it's not a part of the life that Jesus put in me, okay? It's not a part of the, the life and, and, the, and the spirit of God that Jesus put in me. So really to the Christian, to the child of God, it's not something that you need to embrace. It's not something that you need to accept as normal. It was not supposed to be. And because you are a child of God and spirit-filled, it's not going to be, you will not have to experience eternal death. Um, it may be part of this earthly body's life, but it's not part of the life that Jesus put in me because it's an enemy of God and it came through sin. We read that story when Lazarus was put in the tomb and his sisters were um, they were, they were uh, distraught, and, and Jesus showed up. And we have the, the shortest verse in the Bible. is Jesus wept. And there's a lot of speculation on why Jesus wept. Some people think that it was because of the, their lack of you know, belief and lack of faith. And, but could it, be, could it be that he wept because, because of death? And death... Was his, is his enemy. Could it be that he was troubled at death? And of course, he raised him from the dead. 
If death is an enemy of God, we would ask, then why do the saints of God die? Right? If death is an enemy of God, then why would a child of God die? And it really, it really God uses the death of the earthly body so it can be changed into a resurrected body. That's what God, so God uses death for good, okay? And we, we, we hear that all the time, the death, burial, resurrection. Okay, so God uses the death of the old man so the new man can live. That's, this, this concept and this principle is laced all through Scripture. But it, the same goes for our earthly death. God uses the death of, of, of our bodies so that there can be a transition into a resurrected body. You following me? He uses it so that we can go to heaven. It's just a step into heaven for the saints of God. Amen? And that's how we need to look at it. When, when, when a child of God dies, it's just a step into heaven. God will use a death and a burial for a resurrected body. Amen? We, we, we use this concept in Scripture to preach the gospel all the time. But we kind of don't talk a lot about the end of life part of it. But ultimately, the gospel message, the death, burial, resurrection, is so that we can have a death, burial, and resurrection. That's what it's for. So we can have an eternity with Jesus. You following me? The devil's, the devil's purpose for death was to destroy. But God uses it so we can be changed into our resurrected body. Amen? Verse 29 says, else what shall they do which are baptized? So Paul is, again, making the case that we are going to have a resurrected body. He's making a case for the resurrection. He says, else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead? If the dead rise not at all, why are they then baptized for the dead? Have you guys ever heard of people being baptized for people who have already passed away? Well, Paul talks about it right here. <clears throat> and he's not condoning it. Okay? Paul is, is speaking of a pagan practice of people being baptized for the dead. Um, this, is, this is nowhere else in the Bible. Um, he spoke of this practice without approving of it. He says, if there's no resurrection, then why would people attempt to be baptized for dead people? So really, Paul's message here, he's like, even the pagans believe in the resurrection. Even the pagans, even the heathens believe that there's a resurrection. And they baptize for the dead. So if the pagans believe that there's a resurrection, don't you think the church should believe that there's a resurrection? So this is the point Paul is, is making here. So any religious ceremony done in the name of Christianity, baptizing for the dead, um, is, it's not in Scripture. Okay, it's, it's er erroneous. It's not correct. Nowhere else do you read of this happening in the Bible. Um, if that was the case, if we truly could be baptized for somebody that was dead, 
I mean, what would be the purpose of even living righteously if someone could just be baptized for you and you died and all your sins would be washed away? It, does, it just doesn't make any sense, okay? So Paul was literally using a practice of the pagans and what they do, because they believe in the resurrection, to prove how much more the church should believe in the resurrection. Verse 30 says, And why stand ye in jeopardy every hour? Paul, again, proving the resurrection. He says, why would I, he was talking about his own life. He's like, why would I place my life in jeopardy for the gospel if there was no resurrection? And of course, Paul lived his life all out for the gospel, okay? Um, He gave himself to it wholly. He was committed to preaching the gospel. So does the way that we live give evidence that, that, uh, that we aren't living this life just for this, for this earth, but we're living it for a future resurrection. And Paul was saying, my life, I live my life in a way that it's evident to, that I believe that there's something after life. I believe that there is something to live for after this. He says, why would I live this way if I didn't believe it? So we have to ask ourselves that question, like, Is there evidence in our lives that we believe in the resurrection? Like, do we get too comfortable? Do we get too um, zealous of worldly things and just too comfortable calling this world our home? Right? Like that old song says, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Right? My treasures are laid up. Amen? Amen? Like we, we can't, this is not our home. We're, we're, just, we're just passing through this. So we've got to be sure that we're not too comfortable, church. That we're not too, too uh, happy about living here. Now we ought to be happy, but we're going to be happier over there. <laughs> Amen. And that's what we're living for. Are we too concerned about me, my image, my status here on earth? Do we do an audit of, and here's a good way, and you guys have heard me say this, but just do a quick audit of your time. Do a, an audit of your, your where, you know, where you expend your energy, what you do with your money, time, energy, money. If you look at those three things in somebody's life, and you can tell, you can tell where their heart's at, okay? So we got to make sure we're not getting too comfortable here on earth. Is there evidence that you believe in the resurrection? Paul's like, there's evidence in my life. Um, he, he, he lived that way. Of course, he, 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 you know, he, I thought I had my notes here. He, uh, he was whipped. He was stoned. Amen. He had some pretty dangerous mission trips. Spent a few nights in the ocean. I mean, there was evidence that he believed in the gospel and that there was a resurrection. Verse 31, he says, I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. He said, I die daily. Amen. We often say we need to die daily in our flesh, right? Take up our cross and die daily. Um, I believe that, 
But this is not what Paul's talking about here. Okay? He's not talking about dying daily in the flesh. Um, so sometimes we, we use this scripture a little out of context. Um, not that it's not scriptural to die daily, but that's not what Paul was talking about. Um, he was talking about living in a way that he puts his life on the line, his physical life on the line for furthering the gospel. Okay? He lived in a way where he was okay of dying at any moment because he believed in the gospel. He had enemies. He had people that wanted to kill him. And he was fine living that way. He wasn't talking about dying out in the flesh. He was talking about willing to lay his life, his own life down because he believed in this gospel. That's another level of commitment, wouldn't you say? I mean, we have enough trouble already just letting our flesh die. Where Paul was like, you can take my life. That's another level of commitment. He lived with the idea that I could die at any time. And I'm okay with that because I'm committed to the gospel and I believe in the resurrection. Okay? Uh, verse 3 2, if after the manner of men I have fought with beasts of Ephes- at Ephesus, what advantageth it me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Uh, most likely, uh, the Apostle Paul was referring, when he talks about he fought with the beasts of Ephesus, I don't, I don't think they put him in a, in a ring and he fought with lions. Um, you, he probably would have talked about that, and, 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 uh, but I, I, don't, I don't think that's what it was. And I, I read a commentary where it said they would never let a Roman citizen be put in a ring for some sort of gladiator-type deal. Um, so he's most, most likely talking about um, the run-in that he had in Ephesus um, when the riot broke out with uh, Demetrius and the craftsmen and when they chanted, you know, great is the goddess of Diana. That's probably what Paul is referring to. And he, he basically asked the question, why would I have any part in that craziness, standing up for the gospel? Um, what, what, ad, what advantage is there to me to do that if there's no resurrection? Okay, so Paul was just making that point of some of the things that he did and stood for. Um, and why would he do that if there was no resurrection? He says, let us just eat and drink, and for tomorrow we die. If there's nothing to live for, if there's no coming judgment and there's no hope of a future, let's just eat and drink, and tomorrow we die. And, of course, we read of that sort of thought process in the book of Ecclesiastes, and he said it's it's really just for nothing if there's no hope. Okay? Okay? But we, we know that we have a hope today. Verse 33, it says, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Again, he was addressing this thought process of no resurrection. And, and he, he, was, he was calling out the Corinthians. He's like, I don't, he's like, you guys have this false doctrine in your church. And he's like, evil communications, evil company corrupts good manners. He says, you guys have been influenced by something to believe this nonsense. And it could have been, it could have been, the root could have been Greek philosophy. It could have been the Sadducees. They didn't believe in the resurrection. But he's like, you got to watch out who you're hanging out with. Evil 
communications, a lot of the other uh, translations says evil company corrupts good manners. Um, the people you hang with matters. Okay? The people you spend time with, what environment you spend time in, it matters. It really matters. Um, through this book, through this book, Paul was dealing with problems, envy, divisions, pride, immorality, greed, selfishness. And you wonder how much of this was a result of other influences. Okay? And he calls it out. And uh, I, I was thinking about this today. You know, Brother, brother Woody Rittenbach. I mean, we got to see Brother Woody the other day at Sister Evie's funeral. And uh, I miss Brother Woody. But he, he had this little thing that he always said, and some of you will uh, remember it. He says, watch your thoughts. They become words. And watch your words. They become actions. And watch your actions, they become habits. And watch your habits, they become character. And watch your character, it becomes your destiny. And it really all starts with your thoughts. And uh, Brother Woody made a comment. He says, you know, what brings on your thoughts? And he made the point that one of the things that brings on thoughts is your five senses. Okay, your five senses are you hear, you see, you smell, you touch, and you taste. Okay, a lot of times our thoughts, and I'm not saying exclusively, but a lot of times our thoughts come because of these five things. Do you ever smell something good and, and it brings back a memory? of like good food or something. And it takes, it affects your thoughts. And probably the two that are, are very relevant here is what you see and what you hear. Those two things right there will control most of your thoughts. What's around you? What's in your company? So these five senses are determined by where you are. And who you're with. And what you're doing. So we've got to be careful the positions that we put ourselves in. Okay? Because it affects our thoughts. And, and Paul was addressing this in the Corinthian church. He's like, listen, you guys have had some bad influences that have caused you to believe this false doctrine. So let's be careful who we... You know, what environment we put ourselves in. Romans 12, 2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we've been called not to be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Uh, verse 34 says, Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Verse 35, but some man will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Thou fool, thou which thou sowest is not quickened, except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not the body that shall be, but bare grain. 
It may, it may chance of wheat or of some other grain, but God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. So he said, some will ask the question, how are the dead raised up, and you know, what kind of body will they have? And, and we can quote Acts 26, 8, it says, why should it be a thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead. Why, why, why should this be something that's hard to believe? And, and how, how is the dead raised? And, and Paul just kind of calls them out and to, the, to this mystery, mystery questioner. He says, thou fool. And he begins to explain to them why this is foolish to ask these sort of questions. Paul likens the dead in Christ to a seed. Um, that, that, that when we... We, we put them in the grave. Um, we have not put it to, that seed to death and to die only, okay? But we have sown a seed that will come out of the earth as a resurrected body. Paul was just explaining the simple process of a seed being planted, okay? It's, it, it, it's buried, it, it's, it's, it's dead, but it rises, okay? So, and again, that, he's talking about when, we, when the dead in Christ are buried, we're just burying a seed that will be resurrected. Um, here's a quote by, by Spurgeon. It says, truly it is never a pleasant sound, that rattle of the clay upon the coffin lid, earth to earth, dust to dust, ashes to ashes, nor to the farmer, for its own sake, would it be a very pleasant thing to put his grain into the dull, cold earth? Yet I trow, or yet I believe, no farmer ever weeps when he sows his seed. Amen? <laughs> when a farmer sows his seed, it's a good day. Okay, when a farmer sows his seed, there's an expectation that there's going to be plants, okay? When someone goes into the grave, it's a good day. There's an expectation that there's going to be a resurrected body, amen? When you sow a wheat seed, okay, a big wheat seed does not come up, right? Instead, a whole stalk of wheat grows, it's something different. It's, it's better. And our resurrected bodies will not be as our earthly bodies. They will be glorified. They will be better. We will come out of the grave better than we went in. Amen? I don't know if anybody's, like, I've been thinking about heaven all day. <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about spending eternity with Jesus and, uh, you know, I, I want to live a good life here, but you want to know what? Like, I'm ready to go. If God wants to take me, like, I'm ready to see Jesus. And when you, when you sow me into that ground someday, you want to know what? You can just, it'll be a good day. You can, you can bury me with an expectation that I'm going to rise again. Amen. And this old body falls apart. Brother Jerry, you're going to be given a, a new body. Amen. <laughs> no more pain, no more heartache, no more tears, no more uh, sorrow, okay? No more backaches, 
No more chiropractors. Come on now. No more broken bones, sprained wrists. We're going to get a glorified body. Verse 39, all flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, and another of fishes, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial, but the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for one star differeth from another star in glory. So Paul was just making the point, not all flesh is the same. We are different as humans compared to the beasts of the earth, to the fish, and to the birds. And each is suited for its purpose and environment. Okay, of course, we as humans, we have a different purpose than all the other living things that God made. Okay, God did put life into animals, like they are a living creature. He did put life into birds and to fishes, but there is something different about the human. Amen? And the difference between a human and all the other living creatures is that God created us in his own image. That's the difference. We've been given a divine purpose as being created in his image to be representatives of Jesus, okay? So we've been created in his image. So we are different than all the other living things that were created because we were created with the divine purpose to be a representative of Jesus Christ. So when people see us, when people see a child of God, they should see the light, Amen. When people talk to us, they should feel the love of God. When people spend time with us, they should taste the fruit of the Spirit. Amen. We've been created in God's image. That, you know, we, there, there, uh, a popular question is, is, what is my purpose? What is my purpose? And I was looking into this a little bit because that's a, that's a big question. What is my purpose? And uh, I, I found this on the internet, of course, so it has to be true. <laughs> it says the five laws of purpose. It says nothing exists without purpose. It is the reason for the existence of a thing. is purpose. So purpose determines the potential of anything. Purpose determines your abilities. It says, no object or product determines its own purpose. That's interesting. You don't um, determine your own purpose. It is the exclusive preserve of the maker or the manufacturer of the product to determine the purpose of the product being made. Okay? Okay. Failure occurs when purpose is ignored. Its fulfillment determines the significance of a thing. So without its fulfillment, an object loses its significance. So we are at at our best 
And we are most fulfilled when we operate in the purpose of the creator. Okay? He determined the purpose, not us. And when we get out of sorts, it's a lot of times as we are not operating in the purpose in which he has called us. The last, the last law of purpose is nothing exists for itself. So nothing is created for itself. A car is not made for itself. It has a purpose. Um, this, you know, a building is not constructed for itself. But it's meant to have people in it and to have businesses in it. The chair you're sitting in was not created for itself. But its purpose is for you to sit in it. You do not exist for yourself. You exist to bear the image of God. Okay? That is your purpose. And of course, Jesus was our perfect example. Because he was the image of the invisible God. Okay? But now the spirit of Jesus lives in us. Okay? And we are now representatives of God bearing his image. Okay? So if you're if confused about your purpose and you're lacking fulfillment in your life, I'm just going to tell you that your maker has a plan for you and has a purpose for you and you will be you will never be completely fulfilled unless you line up with that divine order of God. Amen? It's like, uh, I don't know if you guys have ever seen those videos, you know those really expensive watches that are just, they're full of little gears and parts, they're mechanical, so you wind them and they just work, they're like, $60,000 or maybe more. And I've watched videos where like there's machinists making all these parts and pieces. And the, the amount of work that goes into it is, is incredible. Just to make this watch. Right? And this watch was meant to do what it was designed to do and that was to keep time. Okay? But there was a maker. To believe that that watch is just out there on its own to do whatever it wants to do is foolish to think. But it's easy to believe that that watch's purpose is to tell time. Because that was the intent of the maker. Amen? And in this life here, there are makers and manufacturers and creators that sometimes, you know, fail. Like Henry Ford. <laughs> I'm not going there again. I'm just teasing. Someone asked me today, can I go to heaven and drive a Ford? <laughs> I said, yes, you can go to heaven and drive a Ford. But God doesn't mess up. God doesn't make mistakes as the maker and the creator. And he has a purpose for you, and that's to bear his image. Amen? Our, terrestri our terrestrial which is our earthly body, was suited for our time here on earth, but our celestial heavenly body uh, will be given, that we'll be given will be suited for heaven and eternity. So Paul is making this point of the resurrection. We're just going to read through the rest of this chapter. Verse 42 says, So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown 
in incorruption. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and then there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthly, and the second man is the Lord from heaven. So you got the first Adam, second Adam. As is the earthly, such are they also that are earthly, and as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And we and as we have been uh, and as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery that we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Amen? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, in the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when the corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall he shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? And O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Amen. So Paul, he spends a lot of time defending the resurrection. And church, this is what we're living for. Okay? We're not living for the American dream. We're not living for the 401k. That's not what we're, we're not living for social status and materialism. We are living so that we can someday be resurrected. Amen? All right, so um, next week um, we will finish chapter 16. And I'm probably going to, there's a topic that's brought up in chapter 16 that I'll probably spend some time on. Um, it's a fairly short chapter. Paul's kind of closing it out, and we're going to end this series on 1 Corinthians. Let's all stand tonight. Let's just go to him in prayer. Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy tonight. God, I pray that you would just touch us. God, that you would lead us. God, that you would guide us tonight. God, we thank you for the hope that we have in you today. God, the hope of glory, the hope of resurrection, God. In the name of Jesus, God, touch every family here tonight. God, lead them and guide them, God, the rest of this week. God, touch the Sunday school rally this weekend. God, in Jesus' name, amen. If we could, everybody who will...